Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello, James here, and you're listening to the IAB UK podcast. We're back with the first episode of 2024, bringing you a special live recording from our last Thursday Club event hosted last week by none other than IAB UK CEO John new and a new season is of course the perfect opportunity to delve into the trends everyone's talking about and look at what's going to be big in 2024 and it provides me with a seamless segue into a plug for our newly updated iab compass report the latest installment focuses on the potential of digital out of home advertising building on last year's look at ar and vr ctv gaming and shoppable advertising as well as giving you forecasts on future growth, there's a whole range of actionable recommendations for how to start advertising in each area. If you're an IAB UK member, you can enjoy the full fat version of Compass by visiting iabuk.com forward slash compass. But back to this week's episode. Around the table, John welcomed Mindshare's Sophie Harding, Cara's Dan Caladine, and OMG UK's Phil Rowley, all of whom sport head of futures in their job titles, which comes in very handy for a conversation such as this one. Now, there's loads for you to get your teeth into in this episode. You're going to hear all about the democratisation of tech, social commerce, gentle tech, generative AI, and even a look at what might become the dominant form of interactions online. More on that later. John started by asking each of the three to introduce themselves and give one reason to be joyful in 2024. My name's Phil Rowley. I'm Head of Futures at Omnicom Media Group. And with regard to what brings me joy, or certainly what's giving me a sense of joy, it's no matter where we net out with the trends that we're going to end up discussing and debating this evening, the fact that we're even here meeting to talk about the fact that we're excited about what comes next is a reason for joy, in the sense that we have a room full of people who are eager to become experts in what is next. And because time always flows in one direction, progress is inevitable and time is inevitable. So the fact that your presence signals that you are ready for change, I think that is a reason for joy. Indeed. And for those people listening as well, also keen to learn what's happening and embrace the world in front of them. Indeed. Sophie. Great. Hi, I'm Sophie Harding. I head up Futures and Innovation at Mindshow UK. What gives me joy about some of the things we're going to talk about today is probably the level of opportunity. Yes, things are moving at pace and can seem a little scary at times, but I think the level of opportunity that a lot of this stuff actually presents is where we should be joyful. Cookies, for example, a lot of regulation going to be happening this year. Obviously, lots happening in the cookie space. But, you know, the opportunity that that presents to do things differently, experiment, use different data sources, approach things from a a kind of a different level of thinking, that for me is actually more of an opportunity for the industry and what we should be doing to kind of make ads more relevant for consumers on their terms as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And Dan? Hi, I'm Dan Calladine. I'm head of Media Futures at Dentsu. Um, The thing that gives me joy, I think, really is the democratisation of the technology. So what we saw in the last few weeks was OpenAI 
the creator of ChatGPT open an app store, which means that lots of people can now create their own chatbots and upload them for other people to use. And so similar to when Apple created its own app store, you suddenly got all these people not necessarily connected with big tech who can suddenly turn their ideas into technology and get those out for other people to use. So it's just the democratization of the new technology that I think is really exciting for this year. Yeah, thank you. It'll be great to involve all of you in a minute. So have a think of any questions that you've got for our panel of experts. Put your thinking caps on and we'll come back to you in a minute. But the podcast today and the session today is called New Year, New Trends. We have an industry of people that are obsessed with new trends. We tend to do it this time of year, right? It gets to December or January. We look to the year ahead. Are we thinking about it the right way? Are we too short term? Phil, I think you might have a point of view on this. I do, do I do, thank you. <laughs> I'd like to challenge the premise of the question or the idea of 2024 trends. You know, around about this time of year, the, you know, the call goes round, has anybody got a 2024 trends deck? As if whatever was around in 2023 ceased to be relevant on the 1st of January 2024. The reality is, is that trends don't go in one-year cycles. It's not, it's not convenient to think like that. And in any case, clients are often, for very good reasons, unable to access or certainly turn around the oil tanker in time to really deeply integrate any trends within 12 months before the metaverse is out and now it's AI. I think, generally speaking, the name trends also gives you a clue as to the way that it's viewed. Is It's transient, it's ephemeral, it's temporary. And I think that, as in general, as an industry, we should be thinking in much longer term. We should be thinking about how companies turn around their fortunes or how they integrate technology over two years, over three years, over five years, and plan in that regard. The idea that AI was uh, all of a sudden is, the, is, is you know, the big thing in 2023 stroke 24 is to a degree a certain level of nonsense because you know we were writing about AI back in, in 2016 not trying to sort of play we're ahead of the curve or whatever it's because it was around predictor text is technically AI if you really want to be really specific about it so what we we're talking about is thresholds or moments that have been crossed rather than there be any specific sort of spontaneous virgin birth moment where a new technology has landed on the scene is now going to change everybody's lives as if it wasn't there previously and won't continue to be there in years to come so the word trends i think often misframes the debate sends us in the wrong direction and whilst yes it helps get stuff on plans and it helps get stuff clients talking and thinking about new technologies which is absolutely essential if a brand wants to modernize i prefer that we talk in longer time scales if we dare and that's the approach that we try to take dan let me come to you on that because you you actually do a very good uh, year ahead trends deck that I've seen for. <laughs> What's your take on it? Well, I think trends naturally lend themselves to be sort of for a particular year in the same way that award ceremonies just naturally lend themselves to be towards the end of the year or the start of the year. So, you know, Oscars, Emmys, things like that. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a natural part of the calendar where it makes sense to look forward to the next year just to, almost as a sort of natural human behaviour. I mean, I think I, I totally take Phil's point about we should be looking for much longer term trends and we we do do this you know we look to see um i mean in some of the frameworks we do when we do workshops with clients you look at things like what's now what's next and what's never if you look at particular ideas and stuff like that but in terms of what we do we really look to see i mean 
definition of a trend I think we'd work with is something which is likely to be a lot bigger or a lot more important in a year's time than it is at the moment. And that can be things like generative AI because development in that's moving really, really quickly. It could be things like changes in consumer behaviour that we've noticed, or it could also be things like things which are going to be incredibly important in this particular year, like, you know, sustainability falls into that. Sustainability isn't necessarily a new trend, but it's something which is becoming more and more important. Brand safety, not a new trend, but it's something which is incredibly important for 2024 because almost half the world's population live in a country where there's going to be an election. So there's all sorts of issues around that. But then also, again, going back to the generative AI point, it's now much easier to make the fake news sites and things than it even was four years ago. So we look to see things which are likely to be more important this year than they were last year and even more important in two years' time and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And Sophie, what about from your point of view, how do you approach things at, at Mindshare in terms of you know, how you're communicating new ideas, new trends, new topics to, to clients? Does it tend to fall into a natural annual rhythm? or It, it oh. does in terms of launching a report. I'm right. kind of with Dan with that. You kind of need to flag the things to watch for the yeah. year ahead. But equally, you know, we're on our 10th year of writing trends reports. So you can't kind of talk about those trends in isolation. You have to almost talk about the journey that that trend has been on. Because sometimes, you know, context change needs dates change for a lot of these trends. So the one that Dan's just talked about is a great example. So we featured a trend called Real or Replica back in 2019. Right. And that was all about, you know, the blurred lines between what's fake and what's real. And in the context back then that we were talking about was about misinformation and fake news. Mm -hmm. And voice assistants were just about kind of hitting home then. Virtual influencers were coming in, the beginning of deep fakes. So that kind of emerged then. And, you know, in some ways, not a lot's changed since then in five years, but equally a lot has changed from a context perspective because obviously now we have generative AI and that kind of deep fake proposition is, is taken on a, a whole life of its own will do for the political climate that we're going to be in for this year. So it's great to refer to trends equally for that year ahead, but you need the context behind that and yeah. how the journey that they've been on. So if you, if you did wind back a year and think about, obviously we did this podcast a year ago, we covered a range of topics, super apps, games, games everywhere, AVOD eating, SVOD, gentle tech that we mentioned earlier. Do those things still resonate? Are there things when you look back to a year ago, are there things you think, you know, that you really got right or things you think you really got wrong? So, I mean, we have a bank of trends actually now. Yeah. So we've got kind of 20 trends that we dip in and dip out of, but then we have right. five feature trends within that. So it means that the trends that we featured previously, they're not obsolete. You know, we can go back and refer to them. We, we're tracking those as well. So, for example, our last year's trends were super channel focused. We went into we had a trend called Video Eats the World that was all around kind of video and the disruption in that market that was going on. We had retail media. We had a social unrest trend around what was happening at all the social companies and how they were kind of all vying for um, what's going to happen to them in the future and changing um, what they were doing. It's a very channel focused stuff last year. Uh, and we also had generative AI last year. Yeah. And I guess where the trends are going this year, which was so noticeable when we started doing our research. I mean, Dan and I both said we started on our trends reports in June and July last year. It was that long ago. But we could already start to see some of the themes that were coming through were kind of bigger than just channel updates. They were, you know, it's 
Who do we trust? How should we use people's data? How is AI going to influence generative AI going to influence media? Does AI influence creativity? It's bigger questions that we're kind of dealing with around things like omnichannel attention, you know, the broader big shifts in our industry and right. not just kind of here's a channel update for this year type yeah. thing. So this year I feel like the subjects that we're talking about are kind of big meaty questions for the industry. I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. how you guys feel. but When we think about this year, so 2024, and Phil, it's all right to think about 2024 to 2034, if you, <laughs> if you could cover that all for us tonight, that would be fantastic. What are your big bets? You think, Ed, Phil? Well, you've already mentioned gentle tech was something which we earmarked as a... I think we tend to prefer them to call them signals, almost like noises from from the future, so to speak, like a distant beacon, because we can't quite make out what's going on. But gentle tech was something that we identified after being to a tech conference called Slush, which is in Finland, which I'll all urge you to go to. It's the best tech conference you've never heard of. It's um, startups that are perhaps nascent, almost like a tech laboratory. And one of the things that you can discern from being at Slush is the fact that you can see startups that are already beginning to make solutions to problems which haven't yet quite been articulated in society. And I think that gentle tech was, that came out of that was this idea of um, companies that are putting humanity at the centre of their solutions. You know, we are living through very, very tough times. We have the cost of living crisis. We have two wars. We've had pandemic. We have lots of things that are, unfortunately, we shouldn't be looking forward to over the next 10 years. But there are companies who are already ahead of the curve looking to solve for those problems. So, for instance... Just some examples. I saw only a couple of months ago a new app called Mino. I don't know if anybody's seen this, which is an AI teen counsellor or confidant. And it's basically a large language model that has ingested and inhaled the um, advice of uh, therapists and teen psychologists and uh, and psychiatrists to form a kind of an AI chatbot confidant that um, people or teens can discuss sexual health, worries jobs, um, relationship advice and all the rest of it. And again, it was born out of this need because we predict that, you know, teens' lives are only going to get tougher moving forward. Mm. There is suggestions that by 2039, one in seven people might live alone. So there's that to look forward to as well. So ultimately, I think worries about society further down the path has generated solutions such as this. So I hope that we see those kind of gentle tech solutions come into fruition over the next 10 years, just to sort of as a salve as an amelioration of some of the predictions, the dire predictions that we have about the difficulties of societies moving forward. Brilliant point. It sounds like a great app. But just to clarify, do you own the copyright for the word gentle tech or... Yes, Uh, and every time you said it this evening, it's £25. Okay, I'll stop saying it. Thank you. (laughs) Dan, what about for you? What are your kind of big bets for 2024 and ahead? I think the biggest one is going to be generative AI because I just think there's so much scope for the different sorts of things it can do. Almost every day you read about new applications of it, you read about new parts of life that Google is bringing it to. This week alone I've read stories that they're creating new tools for teachers to use it for for teaching where you you can basically ask questions or you can ask questions of a YouTube video and then it will give you answers or, or things like that. But then also changing the workflow for Google search, where essentially there's now a chatbot box and you can just say, you know, draft me some draft me some text ads for search and give descriptions of them or, you know, write some descriptions as well. And so that, those sorts of things, I mean, it's 
you know, it's only January. We're going to see so much coming over the course of the next year or so. And it's going to, I mean, it's also things like DCO, dynamic content optimization, the potential for things like image generation to really supercharge that, where instead of, you know, 100 versions of a campaign, you could have 1,000 versions of a mm. campaign. So really doing doing far more than we've been able to do before simply because the cost of production is potentially or cost of producing an individual asset is going to potentially fall. So I think that's that's a massive bet. And then I also think it's just absolutely fascinating to see what is going to happen with streaming and with TV. You've got Amazon effectively adding advertising by default to Prime Video. You've got Netflix steaming ahead, um, you know, sort of seemingly unstoppable from their results earlier this week, and really just putting more and more into it, but also the advertising base within within Netflix. So lots of things, really, but um, those would be two big bets, yeah. I think. And Sophie, what about from your point of view? What are you thinking are going to be big bets for, for the year ahead? I would say generative AI as well. Before I move on to that, though, I I probably would give a surprise trend, I guess, in that social commerce for me seems Mm. to be making a bit of a comeback. Whereas last year, you know, a lot of the social platforms were kind of downplaying or, you know, changing their social commerce offerings. I think this year, suddenly TikTok shops in the UK and everything Amazon's doing deals with with Meta and Pinterest and it it feels like it's been revived again. Um, Interestingly, that topic from a consumer perspective, um, it it feels like it's starting to land. Um, There's a bit of confusion around the TikTok shop offering. Um, In all honesty, still people aren't massively convinced about buying products from social because they don't know who's fulfilling them for example so this might help when if amazon are involved in the in the whole scenario if amazon fulfilling them if tiktok again their logistics network if they're actually bringing that into fruition in the uk as well if they know tiktok are fulfilling that product if people if there's more transparency around you know are we buying from the creator for example if it's live shopping or are we buying from tiktok or amazon Mm. then that might help um, the kind of social commerce calls, but anyway, yes, uh, other that was a surprise trend. Yeah. But and how also creators and influencers are kind of now being absolutely um, folded into the media mix. Really, right. I think it was really surprising when we spoke to consumers this year what they feel about kind of influencers and creators and how savvy they are in terms of you know what they feel. You know, they influencers and creators are very different in their minds, for example. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of real detail there around kind of their views on macro-influencers and micro-influencers, and all of that kind of is nicely feeding into that media channel plan, really, and they're becoming a lot more accountable. So that's one of our trends this year. But, yes, generative AI, yeah. um, I'm sure we'll have more conversations now about that. Yes, that. I mean, <laughs> we can't have a podcast and an event on future trends and not talk about it right so but phil what are you hearing from clients when it comes to generative ai are they 
was last year the year they started to use it for the first time, or is that still to come? I think at this stage, the, the inquiries, I think right. I, would, I would say, and I think that's a good thing. Um, the thing that I like about the phrase generative AI is that it says what it does in the title. The, the problem with AI, I think, that we found in general, and this doesn't apply to just media and marketing, it applies to everything, is that the A and the I don't really tell you what that intelligence is and what, it's, what the objectives are and how artificial it is. And that's an issue. You know, we, I went to, again, to a tech conference where everything was AI, right? But it isn't AI. It just pretends it's AI. And I think there's the opportunity with something like generative AI, I've mentioned it once before, predictor text as well, to sort of subdivide down the AI nomenclature, the label, and actually get better terms for describing what that individual application of AI is. Generative AI is a really good start. So clients come and say, to Dan's point, we can generate multiple you know, versions of creative. And I would just like to see that, that, that rule taken through with AI, its application in media and marketing more descriptive than a broader a label, which I think doesn't get us any far forward and actually can be abused as a label and, and be almost meaningless. Yeah. And I guess to, to your point earlier, AI, it's impossible pretty much to run a digital advertising campaign that doesn't use AI or machine learning. Exactly. Where does the AI stop and yeah, where does it not yeah. stop? You know, again, is a, cal- is a calculator artificial yeah. intelligent? Probably not, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a slope, effectively, about where, at what point AI kicks in right. um, and has existed for, for a very long time. So it's just about putting better definition on it. And again, I don't want to segue into a completely different rabbit hole, but exactly the same problem with the metaverse is that it was defined probably in a rather lax fashion and you know, one of the things that I think we need to do for the metaverse, perhaps one of my predictions with our report, is reclaiming gaming and reminding people that there are three billion players on Earth and this is an incredibly huge opportunity and that yes, you might be lost uh, faith with the, sort of the Zuckerbergian VR element of the metaverse, but there's still this huge gaming sphere out there on good old-fashioned 2D and good old-fashioned mobile phones and again, it's the labelling that's important. So the long-winded answer, but the, the short answer is there asking about gen ai specifically but i'm glad they are because that's the label that's been given yeah i I was just going to say about generative ai i guess what we're saying about that this year when we featured it a year ago it was so early in that it was difficult to know you know what how is this going to pan out how are we going to use it in media particular and different industries and i think what we're flagging up with generative ai this year the problem that we have with generative AI currently is a general purpose technology. We can ask it to do anything we want. We can ask it to create anything we want. But that's kind of the beauty of it, but also the problem with it is yes. we don't actually know what we want it to do yet yeah. or what we want. <laughs> so we don't know what to ask it to do. And yes. actually, we're, we're using it for really kind of you know again when we're asking consumers what they're using it for it's really practical mundane things that they're doing already um in terms of searching it helping them to write emails it's and really you know generative ai what we're going to end up using it for are things that we haven't even thought of yet like it's not you know the, the use cases i think possibly will start to become a bit clearer for different industries this year and that's possibly you know the media thing as well but that's we've almost got a technology that we just don't quite know what to do with at this point in time and it's it needs yes. to play out which i think is where you started dan right talking about yeah the open sort of nature of ai now and the fact that we're likely to see things that no one expected i think so yeah i mean i think i think a lot of us are in the same boat. I think we're all 
doing an awful lot of experimentation. We're uploading an awful lot of decks into into GPTs and things like that and trying to see what content we've got that we can potentially use to, you know, how we can simplify things, how we can, you know, basically access stuff more easily and, and create things more easily. But then also we're using a lot of tools with the partners. So things like Advantage Plus from Meta, making performance campaigns work better and those sorts of things as well. And I think, as I say, we're only only at the very beginning of the tools from the partners. I think all sorts of things are likely to be to be coming along very, very soon. I'd love to get some questions from the audience in a minute. Well, actually, I'd love to just sit here and talk to you all night, if I'm honest, because I've got a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. We'll see if there are any questions in a second. Before that, I'd like to ask you one more, which is, is there anything you think that's rubbish <laughs> in terms of predictions for 2024 ahead? Is there anything you think... Now, come on, that's never going to happen. I wouldn't say that's never going to happen really right. about anything because you just don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's true to say, I think there's somebody's law or something that all technology that was once made is still being made, yeah. including typewriters and cassette tapes and, and things like that. Right. And so things like the metaverse, you know, we, we can laugh at the metaverse, we can laugh at NFTs and all the rest of it. I think it's quite possible that in a few years' time these things will, will, will finally get to the mm. point. I think also, I mean... I think I, I I should have looked back through all my old decks and things, but I'm sure we've been talking about virtual reality for an awful long yeah, time, yeah. and it still hasn't happened. And, and to a degree, you know, four years ago when we had the lockdowns, if VR was going to, if there was ever a use case for VR, that was the use case, yeah. and nobody was talking about VR during the lockdown, not as far as I know, anyway. Yeah. Um, but I do think it may simply be that when more people get really, really good technology, then you'll get to a tipping point and stuff. Yeah. So I think I'd never say never about a lot of these technologies. It's just the time isn't right. And, you know, yeah. dot-com boom, there were all sorts of business models in the dot-com boom. People lost a huge amount of money on them. 20 years later, thriving models, very profitable, including lots of e-commerce things. There's, you know, things like boo.com was a great, great case study in how not to do e-commerce. Yes. And 20 years later, obviously, lots of people buy lots of clothes online. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. I think to your point is, and to sort of marry your question with Dan's point, I think as long as we've got something like the Gartner hype cycle in our minds whenever we're thinking about a new technology, which in case anybody doesn't know, basically says that technology starts accelerating and gets to this sort of trough of inflated expectations before it crashes down, before it doesn't deliver on its promise. And there's plenty to suggest that not every technology kind of follows that line but there's always going to be a hype moment and then there's always going to be a moment where people all of a sudden realize it's not a panacea it's not a cure-all and it sort of falls down into the trough of disillusionment i think it's called i would like to also proffer an alternative model to the gartner hype cycle which i call the sisyphus cycle now any of you um know um the legend of sisyphus he was doomed to place a stone or push a stone up to the top of a hill and when it got to the top of a hill it would roll back down and he would have to do it over and over again this was his punishment in hell there are certain technologies that Dan has already mentioned actually which seem to have this ascendancy and then they drop down into the trough and then they come back yeah. and they say no this time it's it 3D Avatar is back do you remember when James Cameron <laughs> did Avatar in 2009 this is it all cinemas are going to be 3D cinemas from now on total rubbish absolute bollocks and it never happened and the 3D cinema t- takings are perhaps nowhere near where they once were VR is another great example I'm old enough to remember when virtual reality came out in 1990 there was a company called Virtuality and the headset was like wearing a 
bin on your head, right? And everybody <laughs> said, this is it, virtual reality is here. But it was no better internally than the really awful graphics that you would get on an 8 or 16-bit computer. Then it sort of came back with what you call drop-ins when there was the Daydream and Samsung Gear. But unfortunately, it went away. I think there are certain technologies which it seems that the public just don't want, no matter how many times you try to resell them that technology. And that should be contrasted with those which are ahead of their time or just undergoing a perhaps a winter. And we've heard of the AI winter and we've also heard of the VR winter. It's just understanding the frameworks and the fickle nature of technology versus the consumers who use them. I guess it's about a technology. We, we talked about a few technologies having not having a use case. Like the technology's yes, yeah, there, but yeah. consumers don't really mm. have a use case for them. So yeah. the time, what I said earlier about the context and people's need states changing, like... Yeah. That can change with the, you know, and the, the tech, you know, QR codes, everybody yeah, uses that example. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. you need the context and the need state to be mm, right yeah. for that technology at that point. And maybe we just haven't got to that with things like NFTs that we talked about earlier. And with reply to your question, John, about, you know, are there trends that you think are ridiculous? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think the trends are ridiculous, but to Dan's point, maybe they're coming in slightly too early and something like spatial computing might be something for me that falls into that category. We're obviously going to hear a lot about the Apple Vision Pro headset. Um, Apparently pre-orders of, you know surpassed expectations is about 120,000 pre-orders for this now that's actually going to be launched next week. Just for anyone that doesn't know, just define spatial computing. Oh, goodness me, Phil. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I'm looking at you because you explain these things probably better than I, would I say can. It's, but... uh, so spatial computing for me, I suppose, is dimensionalising a media experience. Exactly so it's, you know, normally what you have, most media is in two dimensions, X and Y. You scroll up and down your feed or you read left and right. Well, imagine there was a third dimension, there was depth, there was a Z space, effectively. Right. So what you're doing is you're donning some kind of device, probably like the Vision Pro or some kind of AR uh, um, device and or MR device mix reality and there is depth to your experience which means that you can locate an experience in three dimensions rather than two so um, therefore there is a sort of a you know an ex- literally an extra dimension to your experience which can be exploited from, from, from a pictorial and interactive point of view. And I don't know if you've noticed actually a good example of that um, would be how kind of Apple have been moving towards that. Has everyone noticed what's happened to the Siri kind of logo or on their kind of app yeah. for a while? The Siri logo? It is three dimensional now when you look at Ooh. it. It's not the logo, but it's the icon, you know, that you're looking at. And that's been like that for a couple of years, but it's three-dimensional. So they, you know, they've had that in their mind for a long time, kind of how, yeah. Yeah, Dan. But also, if we look back, there's lots of examples of things that people got really excited about before they were any good. And, you know, the classic is WAP, not the song, obviously. Um, (laughs) Mobile internet before the iPhone was absolutely terrible. Yeah. And then someone came along and changed it, and now we can't live without it. So you can, you can sort of see something like virtual reality through that lens, and it's quite possible in 10 years' time there will be people sitting here saying, you know, virtual reality before the... Wasn't it terrible sort of thing? And now we all use it every day and stuff yeah. like that. And it's quite possible with things like Avatar. I saw that in the cinema. Um, I think I saw it twice in the cinema, actually. But it's quite possible that something like that will actually work a lot better on on a headset or different sorts of forms, maybe things that last 20 minutes or something on a headset will just be all of a sudden... 
you know, the next big thing or something at yeah. some point. And for me, like that headset, it's three and a half thousand dollars. You know, it's not going to hit mainstream consciousness this year. But what it is going to do is kind of set expectations for that market yeah. uh, with some of the other tech players. You know, what do they need to kind of aim towards and be making affordable? What elements of that as a headset or, you know, do, do we actually need to work from? It sets the standard. And that's kind of where we go from there until it, until it can be affordable enough to be mainstream, I think. I would love to see if there are any questions, because I've done what I said I wouldn't do and spend the whole time asking <laughs> questions myself. There is a mic going round. If you could just say who you are and where you work, just for the benefit of everyone, that'd be fantastic, John. And if it could be a question... Rather than a comment, that would also be... It's a brief question. (laughs) John from Sage and Archer. You mentioned earlier how some technologies are... Companies are trying to impose on the public and then the public doesn't really get them. There are opposites like that. I mean, SMS was created and... The SMS messaging was created but wasn't expected to be a thing and the public made it a thing. Mm -hmm. Is there a technology you see coming up that has been created by accident you think the public might embrace that has come from nowhere? That's a good, good question. question. Yeah. Can, can we get back to you? It's really difficult. <laughs> it's a great, absolutely I'd be buying shares in it if brilliant I knew question. <laughs> the answer to that. Um, do you know, yeah, I mean, we're we looking back at the 10, I'm almost going to not predict what's coming, but look back. But, you know, sometimes there's a use case there and consumers don't even know that they need that use case. Look at TikTok coming along. Yeah. You know, no one had a TikTok-shaped hole in their lives before yeah. TikTok existed. <laughs> but, you know, now has over a billion users worldwide. Like, it, yeah, sometimes that need state is there, but people just don't realise that they, you know, they need it. Really. Uh, yeah, and I'd like to build on that point and answer your question, is I think that there is the potential that the, that, um, the, the, the short-form vertical presenter-led video might start being the standard of all interactions on the internet. So I met with a company um, recently, a Finnish startup, that aims to basically use TikTok-style videos to replace the long scroll through basically text on the internet and wants to make the internet a whole lot more visual because it's more digestible. I think that short-form vertical video, whilst it's not a niche technology like SMS was, might be the dominant form of interaction on the internet moving forward. So faces, we have a natural tendency, I think there's a phrase which I'm not going to, word I'm not going to pronounce, like pareolia or something like that, which is our ability to see faces where they're not there. We respond better to faces, we respond better to head and shoulders and portrait. The, The dominant form of communication being that like, like, like it is in TikTok, we might find that that becomes um, a replacement in many ways for walls of text. Yeah. People don't say that about my face, which is why I'm on the podcast. <laughs> but, Dan, is there, is there anything I, I'm, for you? I'm sure I'll think of something at about 10 o'clock tonight or something. <laughs> um, I mean, there's lots of cases where things have been used, where, where they've basically been hacks. I mean, you know, if you look at something like like YouTube or something like Instagram, all human life is there. And it's people doing things that never, you know, that the people creating Instagram had never thought of. I know yeah. I know Instagram accounts where basically it's just screenshots of text messages from, from people and things like that. And that definitely wasn't why they dashed down yeah. the patent office, you know, 10 yeah. years ago or something. I think there's possibly something uh, to do the voice involved in this, yep. maybe, that might be coming our way because... You think about how long we've been talking about voice, but it just hasn't been kind of fluid enough mm, and up yeah. to the expectations that people kind of want from voice. But obviously with generative AI mm. and 
Amazon working on, you know, specific LLMs, large language models for voice in particular, they're now going to make Alexa a lot more human yeah. to talk to. Um, and any kind of, if anything's running from an LLM, it will be, will feel more fluid and like a chatbot. And yeah. so there's probably some more voice activation type things yep. coming our way that we haven't really thought of yet that consumers are going to... Could, could we Uptake. get? There's another question here. If that's that's right. If you could again just say your name and where you're from. Hello, Tim Flagg from NTX. Um, thank you to the panel. Love the enthusiasm for everything that's coming in the future. <laughs> I wonder if I could just bring it back to the clients, though, the advertisers, and could I get a sense of what you're seeing in terms of their appetite for this innovation and how that has maybe sort of changed post-pandemic you know we, we see that there's a lot of uncertainty in, in, and I just wonder whether that's translating a scepticism for the clients or whether they're embracing the innovation I think there's always been a massive appetite for innovation among clients I think it sort of goes in cycles I think sometimes you had people who want to be associated with new platforms for example and then I think at the moment what people are really excited about is innovation which is actually going to increase effectiveness and actually make things work better than they did before rather than you know maybe an innovation which might be you know we're the first person to do this or we're the first people to uh, to, to to be advertising on this particular platform or something so I think massive appetite for innovation I think the thing has changed is effectively the economic situation where innovation has to be about effectiveness or has to be about efficiency I don't want to be the kind of sixth form of philosophy student, but I would ask what you mean by the word innovation, because I think, you know, clients have always been greedy for innovation, and that remains undaunted. I think it's the type of innovation that they're asking about. And we're really careful at Omnicom to really dig down into what they consider innovation to be. So if indeed a client wants to do something that is utterly media first, no one's ever seen it before, ever, and it's going to win an Oscar and an Emmy, and it's going to change the world, then we have to enter into a very careful conversation to ensure that whether that's really achievable. And the reality is that, you know, if we are talking about incremental improvements, floor-raising exercises, things which are stretch them out of their comfort zone, things that make them new, um, innovations which perhaps exist currently out of their, outside of their vertical, but they are doing it for their vertical for the very first time, so they're beating their competitive set, these are all innovations that I think are alive and well. It's when we define it as that big era-defining one-off Red Bull space jump that we'll find that innovation is more difficult to come by because by its very nature it's expensive, it's difficult, um, it's a logistical nightmare and if we only ever define innovation in that regard then of course it's always going to be difficult despite the fact that clients have got a, you know, a real appetite for it. So it's about reframing the word innovation to make sure that it's at least achievable um, in some respects and in that regard we're innovating for our clients the same way as we've ever done yeah i'd agree with that i mean i almost think post-pandemic there's even more demand for innovation because yeah. you know yes economic climate is difficult yeah. but businesses are having to reinvent themselves they're having to do things differently and you know if you're looking to grow your business you do have to think mm. slightly differently and, and turn to innovation to stand out to launch new initiatives that you're doing yeah so, you know, the demand for innovation, um, it, I think, has increased since the pandemic potentially, but it does need to be accountable and yes. done, yes. you know, in a responsible way um, with a strategic plan around it. There's no point 
to Phil's, you know, discussion there, just doing a one-off stunt or you know, to, to just get PR. I think we're getting less of that potentially, which we might have got pre-pandemic. Yeah. And now it is about actually pull together an innovation roadmap for me or pull together yeah. an innovation strategy document about what I'm doing, what my test and learn plan should be. You know, it's a, it's a much more overarching approach to innovation it's uh, we've done some we used ai in fact to look at company reports and the things they were talking about and one of the interesting things is a real uptick this year in companies big sort of uh particularly fmcg brands talking about digital a lot more than they were in the past talking about digital advertising a lot more but really centered around improving efficiencies but so wanting to invest more in digital, but doing so because they believe they can drive efficiencies through it. Is there any more questions in the room? Hello, I'm Iman from Index Exchange. So as you were talking about like how long trends are lasting, I was just curious to know uh, how do you identify a trend life cycle? Like, are you even able to identify it or is it until it's like gone? <laughs> Who wants to answer that? I don't especially identify them. I, I sort of, when I look at it, I, I think about things like the um, the Gartner hype cycle, although I, I know as well there's quite a lot of scepticism over that, I think. Um, a lot of people say that there's not that many things that actually follow that sort of thing. So I, but I, but I think, I mean, I think some things sort of naturally, naturally have a life but it's quite sorry naturally have a sort of quite set life but it's quite hard to see those things in advance i remember um before before smartphones were really good at video there were basically quite cheap video cameras that you could get i can't remember the name of it but um you could get and you could you would then plug into your laptop and you you get the video and it was fantastic quality it was unlike anything available before and they were you know like smaller than smartphones and things but then obviously five five years later this company was you know the, the product just completely wasn't needed anymore because everybody had that on their phones so i think there's some things that have a natural life cycle possibly things like hardware are more likely to be be things like that than you know consumer behaviors or something so we've got time for one or two last ones hello i'm uh, keith from one tag it's the year of cookies finally going away. Mm. How do you guys think this is going to pan out in the next couple of years in terms of also the advertising experience for uh, users as a result of the changes that are finally happening? Sophie, what you talked at the start about the opportunity of it, but what's your thoughts? So, I mean, we in our very first trends report 10 years ago, we had a trend called mass personalization. Right. And it was very much about kind of making everything super relevant, super personalised to everybody. And really, we kind of did that as an industry and then didn't really think about that user experience. And, you know, so much has happened since then. GDPR's come in, you know, and actually how people feel about brands using their data is, is kind of fluctuated really in that time. And whether they... Um, I think what we found in the last five years as well is they um, they kind of get this exchange for advertising thing a lot more than they would have done uh, 10 years ago so it's a lot more obvious now you kind of you you watch ads you get the content for free <laughs> um, because of all the paid models that are there now. so I think people are a bit more accepting of giving their data and you know and getting things back in return i.e free stuff for watching advertising 
But I think what they also have been telling us over the last few years is, I don't want to give you this really, you know, personal, what I I feel is personal data. But actually, I've got used to seeing relevant ads. I do actually want relevant ads. I just don't want to give you my personal, what I feel is personal data to make that happen. So I think it's up to us as an industry with cookies going to find ways to make that happen without using people's personal data. And there are ways of doing that. But that over the next few years is how that will pan out is it's going to be a culture of experimentation. We keep using this phrase in our agency if there's no silver bullet. At the moment, there is no one answer to how this is going to pan out. We'll start using different data sources. We'll start experimenting with things like geo. You know, we, in, yeah. we, we've highlighted that there'll be a resurgence in using geo data, for example. But over the last few years, you know, we, we've been, it's all been about pre- precision geo and exactly where someone is in a store. But actually, that's not what we're talking about now. It's actually more about, you know, let's use geo data intelligently. It's more about kind of people's journeys, people's travel patterns, what they're doing, right. you know, actually merging some of that mobile data with other data and using those sources intelligently. So how can we use kind of the right data sources to work out what context we should be communicating with people and what need states they're in at particular times to communicate? And that doesn't mean using their personal information. It might be communicating with them via... I don't know, putting live stock levels into ads, like using the weather, using some of those contextual things that we've, we've used for a few years now, but just using them more intelligently and with, in different ways. Thank you. We had, had a good question there for Dan and for Sophie. I think we should finish with one for Phil. Has anyone got l- the last question for this evening? I mean, no pressure, but Isabel, please. Hi everyone, uh, Isabel Davies, I'm an interactive entertainment lawyer from Wigan LLP. I guess just to put an IAB UK kind of slant on the final question, do you think there's anything in the UK market specifically that we're very well positioned to take advantage of any of these trends we've talked about tonight? Did you say you were a lawyer? Have I, yes. got, to, have I got to watch what I say? No, it's fine. No, You're not at, friends. All, not at all. <laughs> so the question is, is there anything in the UK market which, which is unique, I suppose, allows us to take advantage of, of any of those technologies? Not to my knowledge, unfortunately. I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything in England that, is, that, is, that can't be found anywhere else. But in general, I, you know, one of the things I suppose is true of the UK is that having worked in global markets as well, its levels of maturity um, are pretty much up there in terms of um, you know, which technologies that it can, it can gain access to and um, you know, where the experimental opportunities lie. Um, and of course, having probably the best media planning um, in the world. <coughs> so um, I would say that nothing unique to the UK, but certainly um, it's a really great place for innovation. It's a great place for experimentation. Um, and that in itself uh, should be reason to celebrate. Indeed. And I, and I, would, I would say that the, uh, the UK leads the world, from a, again, from an IAB perspective. Um, digital advertising in the UK is... Uh, we lead the world in many areas. We, we lead the world in terms of what we're doing from a responsibility point of view uh, and have done for years in other media as well in terms of the seriousness we give to industry schemes People like the ASA, you know, it's really from the UK that we've driven some of the responsible practices that are happening now in digital advertising. We lead the world in terms of the amount of spend per person, far ahead of the rest of Europe, bigger than France and Germany combined. 
we lead the world in areas like in terms of money, how people are happy to buy things online, more so here than other places, helped by credit card ownership, things like that. But I think you're right, Phil, it's mainly the people, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's the people here that, are, that make it special. Thank you for uh, making tonight brilliant. Phil, Sophie, Dan, it's been an absolutely brilliant podcast event to have with you. I wish we had another three hours. But thank you so much for joining us tonight. Please put your hands together and say thank you. Sophie Harding from Mindshare, Dan Caladine from Cara Global and Phil Rowley from OMG UK there. Thank you, John, and to all of our guests for what was a packed room at the IAB and an entirely thought-provoking conversation. I loved Sophie's take on new tech trends coming from nowhere and just capturing the public's imagination. My prediction, of course, that no one's talking about a search engine for podcasts. Verbal copyright. And don't forget, you can find the IAB Compass on our site, your go-to guide for when it comes to harnessing the full potential of digital out of home, as well as advice on AR and VR, CTV, gaming and shoppable advertising. If you're still here, I hope that means that you really love the pod, so thank you. But please remember to rate, review, follow and share all of the good stuff. It really does make a difference and just means we can keep growing and growing this podcast. For now, though, thanks so much for listening. IAB UK, building a better future for digital advertising for the benefit of everyone.